So Acts chapter 8, and we were talking about there's um, four characters in this chapter, four characters, four people, and uh, we were talking about, we got to the first two, so we're, um, there, the four people that are in the, this chapter that we're going to talk about are Saul, we already got covered him, and Philip, we covered him last time, but he's going to be involved uh, through the rest of the chapter and involved with the last two folks that we're going to look at, and that's going to be uh, Simon the Sorcerer and uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. So it's interesting. Saul, you know, everybody had a, you know, all four of these folks, they had a, um, a certain perspective. They had motivations, you know, different things that motivated them. <clears throat> you know, Saul, his motivation was to destroy the church, right? It says that he, he wreaked havoc on the church, um, arresting men and women and taking them into custody. And then Philip, he was, um, he was an advocate in an advance. He, his goal was to advance the church. So you can see the contrast there. Paul's motive was to destroy the church. But God always has somebody to offset what the enemy is trying to do. And he has Philip, who wants to um, advance the church, Right? And then we're going to see Simon the sorcerer who's seeking to exploit the church. And then we have the Ethiopian eunuch who is a seeker of God, seeking a relationship with the church and with the Lord. So, um, you know, Simon uh, the sorcerer and the eunuch, we're going to see two different seekers with two different motives and two different outcomes. And it's interesting because when you read through the book of Acts, you should really put yourself right there in the book of Acts. You know, put yourself there. I mean, think about it, what it would have been like hanging out with Philip as he's dealing with Simon, the sorcerer. And, you know, we're, and we're going to see, you know, Peter and John come down from Jerusalem to, you know, to kind of oversee what's going on and kind of validate uh, the salvation of uh, the Samaritans. And, you know, if you just kind of put yourself in the scene, it's really, um, it's interesting it's an interesting perspective. So the first thing to start out with, and we're, we'll read um, the section on Simon the Sorcerer as we go through it, but I wanted to point something out before we move um, ahead, and it was in my Bible, a note that I wrote. I don't know when I wrote it, but it's interesting. It says, notice that they didn't hide out. Like when they were persecuted now, and this, the church now is persecuted in his kind of dispersed into the land. And it, I wrote this note, notice they didn't hide out, they stood out. You know, and really that's, you know, something, a question that we have to ask ourselves, right? Are we hiding out or are we standing out? Because really the world needs us to stand out, to be a voice for the Lord. And that's what Philip was doing. And, you know, outside of the fact that they, probably dressed different and their modes of transportation were different and all of that, but the spiritual warfare was still the same. The goal was to advance the church, right? To share the gospel, and the enemy's goal was to destroy the church. I mean, that hasn't changed, right? I mean, that's still going on today, right? It's still the same spiritual battle. So we can learn a lot from Philip, and of course, as we travel through the books of, book of Acts and what we've seen before, 
Um, you know, these guys are committed to the battle. They're committed to their relationship with the Lord. They're committed to, to getting the gospel out to the lost. And that hasn't changed for us. So, you know, think about it. And, you know, I was going to ask you guys to raise your hands, but you don't have to do that. But, you know, are, are you standing out or are you hiding out? You know, are, are you being a witness for the Lord? And, I, you know, I, I pretty much know everybody in the room, so I'm kind of thinking you guys are being witnesses for the Lord. You know, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? That's, that's the point. That's why we're on the planet. Before I got saved, I thought I was on the planet just to have a good time and just enjoy life. But once I got saved, I realized I could still do that. But in doing that, sharing the Lord and just being a light for the Lord. So interesting. So the principle I want to point out is that this is in Scripture, and you see it all throughout the Word. Whenever God sows his true believers, Satan will eventually sow his counterfeits. Okay? And we see that in the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? And let me read, I'll read, uh, I'll read a portion of that uh, for you guys, but it's found in Matthew 13. I'm going to read verses 24 through 30, and then I'm going to read um, Jesus' explanation of um, the parable. So it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed in his field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, at least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of a harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the, re- the wheat into my barn. So Jesus gives them the explanation in verses 36 through 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and I will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, who hear, he who has ears, let him hear. So, you know, it's interesting. You can see that that battle is still raging, Right? So there's always going, to be, always going to be opposition to the church. Um, we see that in the ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus. We see it's true um, in the ministry of the apostles. Um, you know, Paul would, um, in, in his ministry, and um, no different for us today. 
No different for us today. The enemy comes as a lion to devour, and when that approach fails, he comes as a serpent to deceive. And we see that in the book of Acts, because he, he tries outwardly to persecute the church at first in Acts 3 and 4, right? Acts 5, towards the end of Acts 5. And um, then we see that he tries to destroy the church from within in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, trying to cause the division that way. So, um, you know, you got to be on your game, right, as a believer, as a believer. So starting in verse 9, and in verse, um, in verse 8, well, let me, verses 6, 7, and 8 describe uh, Philip's ministry. We talked about this last time. You know, just how God had, had used Philip. Um, it says in verse 8 that there was much rejoicing in that city. You know, they were, Philip was doing some really cool things, and, you know, people were accepting the Lord. People were getting saved. And, um, you know, I mean, God was really working through Philip in uh, Samaria. But starting in verse 9, and here comes the, here comes the resistance. Here comes the enemy coming in to um, try to thwart the move of God's spirit in Samaria. So let's read verses 9 through 13. It says that there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery or magic um, in the city and astonished or bewitched the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, uh, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God, and they heeded him because uh, he had astonished them um, with his sorceries for a long time. So, you know, these folks were in bondage to Simon and, and to the enemy, right? And, you know, back in the first century, and I, you know, since probably since the fall, um, you know, there's always been... Um, different ideas and different thoughts, witchcraft, magic, all kinds of, you know, curious arts, you know, a a full range of just demonic things. And, um, you know, these folks were really in bondage to Simon and the things that he was doing. You know, and it's it's really awesome to see uh, from one verse to another, right? Because in verse 11, it says, They heeded him because he had astonished or bewitched them with his sorceries or his magic for a long time. But verse 12 is one of those but God moments, right? Because it says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, uh, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs uh, which were done. So, Philip, this is going to be interesting, and we're going to we're going to look at Philip's life as um, as he um, as we go through the chapter. Um, you know, the people were amazed at the things that Simon did. You know, so they believed Simon, and they were bewitched by Simon. But there is that turning point where, um, you know, God brings Philip on the scene and he preaches the gospel and, you know, the Lord is doing some really powerful things through him and it gets the attention of Simon. So St- Simon started to lose his followers 
as the Samaritans listened to Philip's message and believed on Jesus. So it's interesting, you know, when it talks about Simon himself believed in uh, verse 13. Um, you know, it says that he believed and was baptized. So the question is, was Simon saved? So I'm not looking for an answer yet. But give that some thought. You know, was he saved? Uh, there's a lot of people in the church today that profess that they believe. Some of them are even baptized. But it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're saved. And Luke doesn't really give us, at, at this particular juncture, um, you know, anything that, anything that gives us that clarity. Uh, but we'll see as we move through the chapter that Simon's actions confirm that he wasn't saved. And, you know, as believers, we need to be careful um, not to judge people and not to try to judge their salvation. But you know what? Over time, that's, that bears itself out. And we're going to see that in Simon's life. You know, right now, you know, reading it at face value, you would think that, you know, it says that he believed and was baptized, right? So just by what it says, you would think, oh, maybe he did get saved. But as you look at his life, you can see that the motivation, what's motivating him, you can see that there's no fruit in his life. And we're going to see that as we go through. And I want to caution you, don't be so quick to cast judgment on somebody that you see in the church and say, well, he can't be saved or she can't be saved. You know, realistically, you should just leave that up to the Lord. But over time, you know, you, you'll, you know there, if there's fruit, you'll see it. If there's not, you'll see that too. But just, you know, I'm, you know, I don't, um, I really, I, I don't personally try to put myself in that position to try to make that call. You know, I just pray, Lord, you know, if they're not, then, you know, let, let us see it. And if they are, then, hey, praise the Lord. So you guys understand what I'm saying? You know, there's too much, <laughs> there's, let God be the judge, because there's too much, judge, there's too much of that mentality of judging each other in the church, and it really shouldn't be that way. All right, I'm glad you guys agree. You're quiet, but I know you agree, right? All right. So, was Simon saved? We're going to see as we go through that. Um, we can answer that question best by asking another one, like, what was the basis of his faith? Okay, so we know that the definition of faith that um, I've kind of held on to is that Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. So looking at his life, we're going to see um, if that's true for him. His faith wasn't in the word of God, but it was in the miracles he saw Philip performing. Okay, And there's no indication that Simon really ever repented, and we'll see that as we go through. So he certainly, um, if you want to compare Simon with the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch who we're going to see next, um, you know, he certainly um, didn't have the same attitude as the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, I'll read verses, we'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit, and I'll read verses 36 through 37 just to um, make my point. It says, now as they went down the road, this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, right? Uh, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, 
to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch, if you believe with your, all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that's a, just a straight-up confession of who Jesus Christ is, that he's the Son of God. So there's a big difference between um, the Ethiopian eunuch's faith and Simon's. So Simon's faith was more like uh, the people of Jerusalem who witnessed the Lord's miracles. In John 2, verses 23 through 25, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. So, you know, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't put any stock in what people were saying, okay, because he, Jesus knew that they were following him because of the miracles, right? And that's what Simon was doing, and it happens a lot today. I mean, if you flip through some of the popular religious channels today, you'll see um, a lot of people, you know, attending a lot of the healing services, a lot of the things that you see on TV. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything positive or negative about it. Um, it's just that, you know, we follow the Lord, you know, and if God chooses to, you know, to do the miraculous, then that's up to him. But I, I really don't think that it can happen at, you know, a snap of your fingers like you're healed. I mean, better re, I better rephrase that. I don't, God can heal like that. But, um, you know, I think our views of the gifts and the gift of healing are a little bit skewed, um, or not mine aren't, and I know yours aren't, but some of the stuff you see on TV might be a tad uh, messed up. So um, just ask the Lord for discernment. But that's what Simon was doing. He was... He was following the signs and the wonders. You know, he, he, you know think about it. He, he's a magician. He's a sorcerer. Um, he's seeing Philip do these things, and he's saying, man, why can't I do that? You know, that's pretty cool stuff. You know, how could I do that? And, you know, back then, you know, they would trade secrets. I mean, they probably still do it today in that field. I don't know. You know, they would buy um, different, like, curses or different tricks, things like that. I mean, it was a, it was a business. It was a business. So he's, he's more in, in, you know, caught up in all of the miracles. So Simon was a professor, but not a possessor. I don't think that, that he was saved, and we're going to see even a little bit more. And think about this is a little side note. Those, those, those folks that teach salvation by baptism um, are faced with a dilemma here because Simon was baptized but he wasn't saved. Hmm, interesting thought. So Simon continued with Philip not to hear the word and learn more about Jesus Christ, but to witness the miracles and perhaps learn how some of them were done. And, you know, um, you know that's prevalent today. Like I said, people are chasing signs and wonders. Um, you know, but guys, you know, what we need to do is we need to be students of the word. We need to be in the word. Uh, you know, we need to know what the Word of God says, you know, about stuff like this. You know, we have to ask God for discernment. Um, you know, all through the book of Acts, you see that. I mean, even think about this in Acts chapter 5. Um, in the beginning of Acts chapter 5, when um, Peter confronts Ananias, right? 
I mean, how did Peter know that Ananias sold the property and cut back all the money? You know, he had that discernment, right? He had that word of knowledge. And, you know, that's, that's a snapshot of how the church should operate today. You know, if, 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 you know, if we're, um, you know, if we're in the word, we're praying, and we're just seeking, um, you know, to keep in step with the spirit, um, you know, that, that's, that, that could be the norm. And when you see it, don't, if you guys have read the book of Acts, right, I mean, you see it throughout the book of Acts. You see, you know, the gifts being, um, they're used so much through the book of Acts. You know, and Peter and John, um, the apostles, Philip, Stephen, you know, you see these men that were just regular folk that got saved, had a real heart, a real love for the Lord, wanted to serve the Lord, you know, and they were faithful. They were faithful um, to be at the temple because that's where they, you know, the early church, they met in the temple still. They were faithful to, um, you know, just get that teaching. You know, they didn't have the Bible like we do. We're blessed. I mean, we have the whole complete word and will of God at our disposal to read it anytime we want. And I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, we can have as much of God and be used as much of God as we want. Because, you know, there's no limit for him. If we're willing, I mean, these guys were just made themselves available and were willing. You know, they died to their, themselves and they said, okay, God, you know, I'll, what do you want me to do? I'm here. Use me. Use me. You know, and those, those things are just as um, effective today. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You know, and all we need to do is just let them know that we're available. So let's move on, all right? Um, verses 14 through 17, it says, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, um, he, had, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So, the verse poses an obvious question. What, why the difference between the order of events here and on the day of Pentecost? So, the apostles heard about this in Jerusalem, and they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And it's important that they sent Peter. Okay, well, it's important they sent John, too. They traveled around a lot together, but Peter is like the key here. And, you know, there is a difference because on the day of Pentecost, um, the Jewish people first repented, then were baptized, and then received the Holy Spirit. Right in Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, it says, Then Peter said to them, this is after he shared the message, and they said, well, you know, what, what should we do? And he said to repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now here, the Samaritans, the, the sequence of events is they believed, they were baptized, and um, the apostles had come down and 
prayed for them, laid hands on them, and prayed for them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. But one thing you can be sure is they were all saved the same way. There's no, um, there's no variance there, right? Um, they were saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's the only way of salvation, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So salvation obviously never changes, right? We're saved by grace, right? There's no other way to get saved, right? You acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. You confess your sins, you repent, and you're saved, right? And then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But it happened a little different here. So why the difference? You know, why the difference, you know, here? And it's important to note that the Samaritans um, didn't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they believed. And the point is that it was necessary for the apostles from Jerusalem to be a part of, um, to be linked to them receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay? And um, I'm not going to confuse you because I think it's pretty simple. God wanted, to, um, God wanted to bring solidarity and unity to the church. So it was important that, especially Peter, because remember Jesus, where's that verse? Well, Jesus told Peter that he, um, he was going to have, he had the keys to the kingdom, right, to the church. And so... Okay, there's the verse. It's in Matthew 16. I'm not going to read the whole portion of Scripture. But Matthew 16, 13 through 20, uh, Jesus had given Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which meant that Peter had the privilege of opening the door of faith. So Peter was obviously preached on the day of Pentecost, right? When the Jews received the Holy Spirit. Here he is now in Samaria praying with the believers there to receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's also teaching in Acts 10, and while he's still teaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. You know, God used Peter um, in all three instances. God, having the, having the apostles come, having Peter and John come to Samaria and pray for these guys to receive the Holy Spirit, would bring and keep the unity of the church. You guys see what I'm saying? If it would have happened separately, apart from what happened on the day of Pentecost, it could have caused a schism in the church, right? Because it could have said, hey, we're the Samaritan Christians, and you're the Jerusalem Christians. And then with Cornelius and those guys, they could have been the Cornelius Christians. But, it, you know, it all had to be linked to, um, to the apostles, Okay. So Peter opened the door to the Jews, he opened the door to the Samaritans, and later he would open the door to the Gentiles. So it's important to keep in mind that um, it's, it's not a good idea uh, to base any doctrine or practice concerning the Holy Spirit um, on what is recorded in Acts, especially Acts chapter 1 through 10. Because you might be building on what might be a temporary or a transitional part of the church. I mean, think of all the things that happened in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. 
right? I mean, a lot happened. The Jews got saved, the Samaritans and the Gentiles. They, they got saved differently. They received the Holy Spirit differently. And, you know, God, you know, God, you can't keep God in a box. And, you know, the, there's a lot of other, um, there, you know what I'd love to do? I'd, <laughs> I'd love to, well, I have to run this by Pastor Rob, but it would be great to follow up on the New Believers class and do a Saturday morning for a while on the Holy Spirit and really, um, you know, just get together and really dig this out because there's a lot here. But I just wanted to point out the fact that it's just that it's keeping the unity of the church. That the apostles had, you know, it all, it all had to be linked to Jerusalem, that what God did and, you know, originally what he did to keep the authenticity of it and to keep the church united. And, and it's not going to take long for the church to start splitting anyway. I mean, look at today we have, um, you know, I don't, how many denominations we have today. It's unbelievable. But, you know, God wanted to keep things together. So, and the reason why I say it can get confusing trying to make a doctrine on, you know, these first 10 chapters because everything is so transitional. Think about this. In Acts chapter 2, those who claim we must be baptized to receive the gift of the Spirit would have had a hard time explaining what happened to the Samaritans, right? Because theirs was totally different. Acts chapter 8, in Samaria, the order of events, which I just mentioned, they believed, were baptized, but the apostles had to come and pray for them to lay hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. Um, They would claim that you must have the laying on of hands to receive the Spirit. And then think of the guys, eventually, when we get to Acts chapter 10, those folks in Samaria would have a difficult time with the Acts what happened in Acts 10, where they were filled with the Holy Spirit while Peter was still speaking. Totally, <clears throat> totally, totally different. Ew, excuse me. You know, they, they received the Holy Spirit. There was no laying on of hands, and they weren't baptized till after they received the Holy Spirit. But it all, um, it all, had, to, it all had to stay connected to what happened in, on the day of Pentecost and, in, you know, in Jerusalem with... Um, the apostles. So you could see how confusing it would get. So, um, you know, Acts, a lot of Acts as well, the first 10 chapters is pretty transitional. So you got to keep that in mind. All right, verses 18 through 25. When Simon saw, <clears throat> so Simon's watching this, right? Saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And he offered them money. You know, and like I said, keep in mind, you know, these guys would buy and sell their secrets to their little magic tricks. So he's thinking, hey, you know what, maybe I could buy this, right? I mean, what do you, you know, and I don't know if it happens today, but it's, it's pretty weird. So he said, um, he offered them money saying, give me this power, <clears throat> give me this power also, um, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. We know that, uh, you know that it was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, right? You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. 
Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps uh, the thought or uh, the plot or the scheme that he had, and that's in a bad sense, that the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So they had testified and preached the word of the Lord. Um, So when they had done that, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So a little bit more insight here, right, in this section of Scripture, if Simon was saved or not. In verses 18 and 19, it says, The wickedness of Simon's heart was fully revealed um, by the ministry of the two apostles. And they didn't pull any punches with them, right? I mean, they just let him have it. Simon not only wanted to perform miracles, but he also wanted the power to convey the gift of the Holy Spirit to others. And think about it. It doesn't say that they did, but some commentators believe that one that they laid hands on them and prayed for them, that they spoke in tongues like they did in Acts chapter 2. I mean, it doesn't say that, but some commentators say that that would be um, realistic and believable. So if they laid hands on these guys and they started to speak in tongues, and if it was the same, um, you know, the same as it was in Acts chapter 2, where, you know, they, they heard them maybe in the Samaritan language glorifying God, right? We know that in Acts chapter 2, they, everybody that was there in Jerusalem heard them praising God in their own language. So if that were the case, you could see even more why Simon would want to be able to do something like that. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff when you think about it. So, you know, he's, um, you know, he's wanting to, uh, to figure out how he, could, how he could do this. And this passage, the thought in this passage gives, word to, gives us the word simony, which means the buying and selling of church offices or privileges. It made a business out of what? Um, is sacred. It, include the sale, it included the sales of indulgences and other spiritual benefits. So right now, the evidence is kind of pointing uh, in the wrong direction for Simon, right? doesn't look like he's doing too well on the saved meter. <laughs> so in verses 21 through 23, we see that the apostles tell him, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of the you know of this your wickedness, and pray, uh, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You know, church history will later associate Simon with heresy, and identifies him as an enemy of the Christian faith. So, not looking good for Simon, right? As you you know, and another you know, as as you study the book of Acts, you're going to find that there's going to be a link. Uh, the gospel is always going to be in conflict with corruption, money, and big business. And you know, we see that with Ananias and Sapphira. Paul put a fortune teller out of business, right? And they wanted to kill him for that. They threw him in jail. And he also gave the silversmiths trouble in Ephesus and helped cause a riot. So, yeah, the two didn't seem to go along, right? And it's the same should be the, today in the church. We shouldn't compromise the word of God uh, for anything. 
for anything. And you know, I know that, um, you know, Pastor Rob said this this morning, um, just about the book of Revelation, and there's some churches, uh, you know, I don't know specifically in this area, but I'm sure in Rochester, Monroe County, that wouldn't teach the book of Revelation or wouldn't teach certain parts of the Bible. And, uh, you know, we can't, you know, it's the word of God from cover to cover, and it has to be proclaimed cover to cover, you know, because it's the, the whole thing is the word of God. And, um, you know, we can't ever get caught up um, with that mindset that, you know, I'm going to skip over this verse or maybe we should skip this chapter because it's, you know, it might rub one of the big givers in the church um, the wrong way. You know, our, we put our, our hope and our dependence and our trust in the Lord. And that's, wh- that's where it should be. And, you know, we, we see the disciples, they're pretty straightforward, bless you, pretty straightforward in how they deal with, um, with Simon and how they deal with um, other folks in the church that are trying to get over on the church or trying to stifle them from preaching the word of God. So the early church had its priorities straight. It was more important to preach the word and root out corruption and, you know, never compromising the word of God to win the support of the wealthier, influential people in the world. And that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. So it's interesting. In verse 24, Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And uh, Simon's response to these severe words of warning, um, they're not very encouraging because, you know, he um, at this point should have just repented. Right? He should have just repented and just asked for God to forgive him. But instead, he's asking these guys to pray for him when he should be repenting. He should be praying. So it's a big difference. You can see going through this, you know, that his true colors are coming out. His true colors are coming out. Simon was, uh, was one of many who would rather go to a human mediator uh, than to the Lord himself. And in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that man, the man Jesus, Christ Jesus. You know, and, and we know that there are some denominations where you still have to go to a man who's the mediator, right, to, um, to get right with the Lord. Um, you know, I know for me that when I found out that I could just confess my sins to God, that was pretty liberating, you know, because... Um, uh, to be honest with you, never I never was I, I never was honest one time I went to confession in the church. I mean, because who would I mean who who would really go there and want to, you know, bury your soul to some guy on the other side of the screen? You know, so I, you know, true confessions of Dave. So all of my confessions as a Catholic didn't go anywhere, as I guess. And even if I was honest, I never went I never said all of the prayers I was supposed to you know, you'd go say five Hail Marys, go say ten Our Fathers, and, you know, I just never did it. And so when I got saved and realized that I didn't have to do that anymore, it was really like a relief. So, unfortunately, Simon didn't realize that. He didn't realize all he had to do was ask God to forgive him and to repent. He didn't need um, Peter or John to pray for him for that, right? He didn't need that, and we don't need it. You know, we have a mediator between God and us, and it's Jesus Christ. That's what's important. So we're going to end here, but the application 
Um, you know, this account shows us um, how close a person can come to salvation and still not be converted. And a few things I want to point out before I close, because we're not going to, we, I don't think, we're not going to get to the end of Simon, and I, I don't want to stop right in the middle. But, you know, there are certain things that I think that the, we need to know as believers or we, we need to um, maybe desire or work toward. Um, and I know that, um, you know, you, you just in this chapter alone, for Peter and John to be um, so, um, so straight with Simon, you know, just, you know, just speaking right to the issue, um, you know, they were, they were firm, you know, but I, I got to believe that they cared about Simon and were, were wanting him to repent. You know, they told him the truth in love. But, you know, you see a lot of discernment. You see, you see a lot of the gifts in the book of Acts. Now, there's some people that, some commentators that think that after um, that first century and after the word of God was completed that, um, you know, that the gifts weren't needed anymore in the church. Um, but I, I don't believe that. And I, I really think that the reason why we don't see um, some of the things that we should be seeing in the church, and I'm not talking about miracles, you know, I mean, it, it's cool if that happens. But, you know, it's the church functioning in the spirit. You know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment, discerning of spirits. You know, and I really think that as believers, you know, we need to get alone with the Lord and, and just, you know, whatever, however that this is going to translate to you. I mean, it's a very personal thing. But the church really is, is not powerless, but the church, there could be more power in the church. There could be more power in our witness. Um, if people saw more authenticity um, in our lives. Um, Pastor Kevin said something while we were talking earlier. Um, you know, somebody asked him a question about the Bible. He said he didn't know the answer. The guy said, you're the first Christian I ever talked to that ever told me that. You know, the honesty and the transparency that we need to have in the world. But, you know, we, we have to do, um, you know, we have to do, and I, I don't like the word work, but, you know, we have to put the effort in. We, you know, we're the ones that need to be on our knees, the church. We need to be on our knees consistently praying. We need to be in the Word of God consistently, you know, praying and reading the Word of God and asking God. You know, God, give me, give me the gift when we get up in the morning. God, whatever I need today to, to minister and to serve you in a way that is going to glorify you and be effective, please enable me. You know, in Ephesians, he says to put on the full armor of God, right? And we do it, the helmet of salvation, right? All of it. You know, and we should be asking ourselves, sure, we're dressed for the battle, Lord. Don't hide me in some corner. You know, put me, put me, in, the, you know, put me in the game. Come on, I want to be used. Give me what, it, what I need, you know, and keep short accounts of sin in our life. And just, you know, be determined that, hey, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to do it today, and if the Lord gives me tomorrow, I'm going to do it tomorrow. And you know what? I'm going to be in the Word. Um, and I know that when I first I got a job working for the county, and I had to work on all of these pumping systems, I used to take books home and read about them so I could do my job effectively. You know, as believers, we have a manual. 
<laughs> this is it. If we want to know how to function, if we want to, we want to have the power of God released in our life, like we see in the book of Acts, this is how we do it. We just humbly, we come before the Lord, we read this book, we pray, and just ask God, God, enable me. Give me what I need. Because the church, you know, the, you guys are all living in the same environment I'm living in, right? If you watch the news, I mean, the world is insane. And, you know, they need, they need the sanity that we have, the word of God, you know, a relationship with Christ. And what I am so excited about the book of Acts, I see people just like us, just like us who took Jesus at his word. They took Jesus at his word. They just believed it. They believed it. You know, he said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to the cross. He went to the cross. Hey, on the third day, I'm going to rise. On the third day, he rose, right? He stayed with them 40 days. He ascended into heaven. At that point, I mean, they were like totally in, right? Totally in. And you know what? What does God have to do? And this is, I mean, I, this is something that you got to come to terms with yourself. But, you know, I'm do, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, God, show me what, I, what needs to be adjusted, whatever it is, because, um, you know, God, I just want to be used. You know, guys, and that's what we got to do. We, we got to get alone with the Lord because we all have room to grow. We all can be doing, um, doing our thing a little bit better, our... Um, our mission. Yeah, because, you know, I'm starting to ramble a little bit because I could get caught up in this. But, you know, it's, you know, it's really what's on my heart. You know, you know guys, this is, they're no different than we are, other than the fact that they're in glory already, right? But the thing is, the situations we find ourselves in, um, the battle, it's all still the same. And they got the victory because they just totally trusted the Lord. That's all. You know, and they didn't have the word of God either. Um, they didn't have the internet. Well, it's probably it was a blessing for them because they didn't have all the distractions that we have. But you know what? It's, it's just going for it. Just going for it. You know, God, I just want to be used. I just want to be used. I want to be. I want to be like these people, you know. I mean, um, Hebrews chapter eleven, you know, the you know the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, you know, just men and women that love God and were available, and God used them. So next time I do a Sunday or a Thursday, we'll finish up Acts chapter eight, and I really want to encourage you read read the book of Acts after you read Revelation because that's homework from this morning. But if you get it, you know, read, read through the book of Acts and just look what God did with folks just like us. Folks just like us got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, believed the word of God and acted on it. And God he changed the world, man. He's still doing it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you, God, for saving us. And, Lord, I pray you challenge all of us because, um, you know, God, it's, I know we're not saved by works. We know that. We're saved by grace. And, um, you know, Lord, I pray that that's, um, 
that in itself would be a motivation that you would send your son to die for us, that you saved us even at our worst point, I mean, while we were yet sinners. And Lord, I, I pray that we would, um, you know, we would just, we, we want to be put right in, the, right in the, the fray of everything that's going on on this planet, Lord, that, God, you would use us, that we, would, um, we wouldn't limit ourselves, that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't put um, restrictions on what we think we can do. We know that your word says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I pray, God, that, w- that would be the thing that would be in our head when we get up tomorrow morning, should you tarry, that, um, you know, we'd have that, that, high, that mindset that we can do all things through you, you know, and who, um, you know, that there's nothing, no one could, there's nothing that can, that can hinder that. So, God, I pray that we would come to you just humbly and in faith, uh, wanting to be filled, wanting to be used. And, Lord, um, you know, if we get to the end of tomorrow night, that, Lord, that we can just reflect with you on just uh, the awesome day that we had, how you used us, the, thing that, the things that you did. Lord, I pray pleasing you, wanting to glorify you with our lives would be our number one, um, that would be the goal for the day, is to live a life um, that would glorify you, that would further the kingdom. God, that we would fulfill um, the purpose that you put us here, the reason you saved us. Uh, so we thank you for that, and I pray, God, that, that you would just give us an excitement for it all. Uh, just pioneers here on this planet for you. Thank you, Lord, so much. We love you, and thank you for the rest of our night. In Jesus' name, amen.